0: Hey friends, welcome to the Christian Heritage Podcast. I'm James Prouche. Each week, our CEO, Roy Baldwin, and I talk about the intersection of trauma, human flourishing, and the church. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. We have a handful of special episodes coming up for you guys. Roy and I are going to be interviewing each other so you can get to know us a little bit better. And we're starting with Roy. This is part one of my interview with Roy, and we'll get to part two next week. As always, thanks for listening to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope that you're doing well. Uh, We're here recording on a Friday, gearing up for our weekend, and we have kind of a special episode today, going to do something a little different. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about you Roy, and your history. <laughs> and I will preface it by saying, I asked Roy to do this. Uh, I, I want our listeners and people who support CH to know a little bit about you and your history mm-hmm. and kind of the path that God has had you and Karen on and how you've gotten to this point where you've come all the way to the good life and you live The promised in land, as I shared the grass. vision
1: banquet. Uh, yes. As I shared the vision banquet last fall, the promised land. <laughs> yep <laughs> so
0: that's what we're gonna do. so it's gonna be a little different but I do hope if you're listening or watching it'll just give you a better picture of Roy uh, and his leadership here at CH. I mean I'll just start by saying and I'm not just saying this because Roy like I report to Roy he's my boss but like he's probably one of the I mean, he, you are the best boss I've I've ever had and I mm-hmm. think you have tremendous leadership qualities and we'll get into that but a part of that is because mm-hmm. you lead so collaboratively. Um, you just have such a pastoral heart, and I really hope that comes across here as as people watch Ooh. and listen, uh, so <laughs> that they can have confidence in it. Who's leading CH? Well, right. it's Roy, but it's also Roy and his whole team, and you've built quite a team. Um, and of course, I'm biased because I'm here, but I think it's right. one of the best teams in Nebraska in terms of the really the diversity of perspectives and experiences, and age and background, um, and so I. I I, that's a reflection of of you. So,
1: I appreciate so, that, James. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate. I, I appreciate agree. you. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I would well, just say, if we get a chance, we could talk about even how our relationship started, which I think you know is emblematic of sure. you know m- you know my heart for ministry. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about some of that. Yep. I think is you know, why we're really excited about the future of Christian heritage, why I'm excited about the future of, of, of the work we do.
0: I agree. Well, the other side of that that I'll mention is, you know, you don't like doing this kind of thing because don't. you don't like talking about yourself. And <laughs> you I, don't. that's totally legitimate. Um, So, I mean, do you want to, do you want to start there and just like, this is, yeah. you know, you're not the center of attention kind of person.
1: Mm-mm.
0: And, and so it could be a little uncomfortable to just talk about, your life publicly like this, but yet you do understand why it's important. Do. So just talk about that yeah, and and just share your heart there.
1: Yeah. You know, I think, you know, maybe it's because of the field, right? So when you look at, you know, I probably have, I, I still have a hard time recognizing how old I am. So I still struggle with that a little bit. But when I think that I've been in the field, you know, working with at-risk families and youth at some level Mm -hmm. for the last 30 years. And I think part of that for me is um, so many experiences have radically shaped my life, my heart, um, the losses, Mm -hmm. the grieving, um, the lack of control. And so I'm very outcome oriented. Um, so at the end of the day, I don't want to make it about, you know, me, I want to make it about the collectiveness. Um, of the community and all the people involved that it takes, it's not one person. Right. So I think of, you know, football analogy, you know, it's, it's, you know, we could talk about the critical nature of the quarterback, but I don't care how good your quarterback is. If you don't have the right schemes, you don't have the right role players. You don't have, you know, all of those things go into what really sets up everyone really well for success and so although i would say as the ceo i'm the quarterback i cannot do it without the right scheme the right strategy the right coaches the right players who are really executing it and implementing that that is ultimately what i want to highlight it's not the role that i play um although i play a critical role but it is you know my ability to draw everybody together being single minded around what goal are we after and how do we work really well together? Um, So I think that gets to the, more of the heart of, you know, my leadership style, which is, I try to be a servant leader to the best of my ability. Um, But it really is, you know, if, if we're not achieving better outcomes for kids, like at the end of the day, I don't, it it really is. It's more about the kids. It's the families that we work with. That's really the priority than it is the work that we do. And I think Jesus modeled that beautifully. I mean, Jesus came and what did he do? I'm, I'm here simply doing the will of my father. Yep. You know, Jesus did not make it about him. Um, he made it about obviously having a relationship with him, but he was like, I'm here to do the will of my father. I'm here to accomplish uh, his, his will for us, the redemption of humankind and mankind. And obviously he was the vehicle by which he did that. But he, he talked often about, you know what a servant was. Uh, the first shall be last. You know the last shall be first. And he yeah. modeled for us that. And I take that very seriously. I um, do. So. You do. Hundred percent. You do. Well, tell
0: us just a little bit about your yeah. upbringing, where you're from. You know, I mean, people know you're from Pittsburgh. You're a huge Pirates, Steelers, I and, am, uh, Penguins fan. Pitt Panthers. Like you, you love Pitt. Um, but tell us about growing up in Pittsburgh, your your family, you know, yeah. and then into college and kind of what got you interested in, you know, serving kids and families.
1: Yeah. So born and raised in Western Pennsylvania uh, in the 70s, right? So if you're going to be... Mm-hmm. A football fan. Time Uh, to be in Pittsburgh. (laughs) It was a great time to be a Steelers fan. The steel curtain, and you know, I was, I was, you know, in elementary school going into middle school, so that was a great time to kind of latch on. Um, Kind of a cool story. um, So our our next door neighbor, um, she was the mother in law for Chuck Tanner, who was the baseball coach for the seventy, you know, the the Pirates, Mm. Um, and so just really close to uh, the sports and black and gold. And, um, so that was just a really great time. You know, when you're winning, it's a great time to be a fan, to be quite honest. Uh, so you kind of, it's kind of seared into you for life. Yep. Um, but yeah, so born in Western Pennsylvania, very blue collar family. Um, my, you know, my mom, you know, was a secretary, uh, at our school district. Um, my dad was a, kind of a janitor and bus driver at our school district. Um, so very blue collar. I was the first one to really kind of go to college, and in, in our family, um, and uh, but I was uh, four, uh, 16 actually when I accepted Christ at a youth mm. camp. Now, I've been raising the family. My parents came to know Christ, so my parents were kind of first generation Christians, and uh, kind of figuring things out. Um, in fact, my dad—if you ask my dad today—he he often talks about, you know, I remember, son, when I gave my life to Christ and I gave up alcohol. So one of the most one of the wow. one of those earliest memories I actually have of my dad is actually sitting at a bar with my dad. Wow! Um, but I remember he, 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 we laugh about this and I was like, I came home, I accepted Christ. I was pouring the alcohol down the sink and I was like, dad, why don't you like give that to somebody? Like you're wasting, <laughs> wasting. I was probably like, I don't know, four, three, four, five five years of old age, <laughs> age, age at the time. Good, no so idea. no context. Yep. Um, but you know, that, that, you know, you know, they're modeling that for me. Um, in fact, when I was in ninth grade, Uh, my parents actually, uh, our youth pastor left, we wanted, we attended a Christian and missionary Alliance church and uh, my parents became the youth leaders. Right. And uh, so, you know, they just kind of stepped in and I, and I think, you know, they modeled for me what that, what that see a need, fill a need. Uh, And that was Mm kind of my parents um, accepted Christ at a, at a youth camp when I was 16. And, and I think that moment um, has really is, is the more I, that I reflect on that now, which is really crazy to think about. It's been 40 years since I accepted Christ, James, it 40 years Man. this year. Um, and so I think, so I think, you know, there was a phrase uh, at the camp. Um, so you accepted Christ in 1984.
0: I did. <laughs> I was born in 1984. Okay. So you became born again when I was born, born. which is kind of cool. That yeah, that is kind
1: of cool. All right. That is cool. Um, that is cool. All right, cool. That's neat. Great another thing that we can, we have in common, James. Yes. Um, but it was at that camp. I had a unique experience. I, I, I like, I like how far do we want to go into this? But, yeah. um, when I was at camp, you know, I was, this I, is a I great kind of story. Jesus. I
0: think you should, yeah, I think you should share this.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so when I was at camp, um, so I always kind of like, I probably accepted Jesus 40, 50 different times, you know, the communion plate is passed. Hey, are you don't take the, the elements if you don't know Jesus? Like, yeah. okay. Like, I don't know if I know them, but I'm, I'm going to do it because, you know, it's what you do. Yep. Um, but when I was at camp, um, I was playing football and I actually got uh, an injury at camp and I lost the feeling. It was, it was a pinched nerve. But when you're 16, you don't, you don't understand any of that. But I lost feeling in the uh, the left side of my body. And so I was just scared to death. And when I was laying in the camp, you know, unit, uh, you know, the the nurse's unit thinking, yeah. oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> yep. it really changed, you know, my perspective of God just really grabbed a hold of my heart mm. while there. And, and at camp, it was such a powerful, like a revival broke out at camp. Mm. Um, so literally the pastor didn't even need to get up in front of the camp. He started, he's like, there was so much life change going on that kids, he just opened up the the podium and kids are coming up and just saying, man, this is where I was. This is where I'm at. Like, give your life to Jesus. And like, everyone was giving their life to Jesus. It was kind of a a neat experience for me. Um, But there was a a sign inside the, the chapel that says, Lord, here am I, send me. And that became a very personal mission statement, I think, to me. Um, at that time, now that I see that, and I look at the course of my life now, the last forty years, the different states, the different vocations, all of that has really been is like, man, God branded upon that upon my heart at that moment. I mm-hmm. didn't know what that meant, but I look back on it now, and it's that has probably defined my life. Is Lord, my life is not mine; it's yep. yours, and I will go wherever you, wherever you lead. So. Yep. I went to Naya college. So after high school, I didn't, I I took the SAT once. Like my goal was not actually to go to college. Um, I wanted to become a Navy SEAL. There's a whole story to that, uh, which I know the odds of becoming a Navy SEAL were slim to none. Um, but that, anyways, that door closed that weekend, that door closed for me. Uh, someone from Naya college just happened to be Uh, uh, in the area. And next thing I know I'm going to Naya college. Um, uh, in the, fu- in the fall of 1986, I'm headed off to NIAC and graduated there from 91. Um, and, and NIAC
0: again, is a Christian and missionary Alliance. Yeah, CMA. Oh, actually, it's no
1: yeah. longer. It just, it, it just, uh, closed its doors. Oh, did it really? Okay. After about 140 years. Uh, it closes doors last year. It was very sad. Uh, very yeah. sad to see that. Shoot. But. but you went to a Christian college and my life was radically. And what'd you get your degree in? So I got my degree in social science um, I w- actually wanted to become a youth pastor, but I didn't want to get the <laughs> traditional <laughs> I didn't get a Bible Traditional degree. pastor degree, and so it took a lot of classes in social science. I was very involved in like outreach teams, so I actually would go down to New York City, um, and you know, I did ministry in the World Trade Centers while they were still there. Um, wow. I played basketball with kids underneath the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, did Bible studies and some of the projects down there. Did street ministry in Chinatown. Hmm. Um, so that that experience of being, you know, farm, the farmlands of, you know, Western Pennsylvania to beginning to see another side of life in New York city. A lot of those seeds now that I look back were being planted in my life, uh, in college. Now, one
0: of the things you talked about, at least here with our leadership team and people at CH is, I mean, you wanted to be a pastor for most of your life. And you, and you've said this, you know, God's just never really opened that door for me. So talk about that a little bit, because mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating. I think, you know, I've I've been a pastor and of course known of a lot of pastors. And I think when, when someone has that desire, everyone else is like, oh, that's amazing. That's a great thing. I'm sure God will give you that. But that hasn't been the case where you're like, God hasn't given you that opportunity. So yeah. You know, how, how did you, how have you experienced and processed like this? This was a dream and maybe it still is. And I think you've even said like, maybe someday, you know, when I'm old maybe and someday. gray, I'll, I'll serve in a church and and help as a pastor, but pro- kind of talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, well, I would say if someone asked me, so I, I turned 56 this year, uh, you know, I, I'm no spring chicken. Yep. Um, I would, if someone asked ask me, like, when did you, like some people have asked me, it's like, when did you know you wanted to be a CEO of a you know, foster care agency? Or yep. when I was a camp director in New Hampshire, like, when did you know? I'm like, dude, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Yep. That, that's always been my heart. Yep. I don't know if that's right or wrong, uh, but it's my story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always had a desire to to minister to others. And I think that's always been a big part of that. And I think back in the 80s, right, late 80s, early 90s, that was vocational ministry. I think I think we look at a way I look at ministry today is very differently. Like yeah. you don't have to be ministering to others simply by being a missionary, being a pastor. But that was really a big thing, I think, my understanding of that late 80s, early 90s. So I wanted to be a youth pastor. I had a lot of work with Youth and had a heart for youth, and like, well, what better way to do that? I had my minor in Bible, um, my degree in social science. Um, But, you know, there were just lots of different doors that were closed for me. Uh, I I looked at becoming a youth pastor through the CNMA, that door closed for me. Um, And I won't get into all the details of that. Um, As I've experienced different career changes, um, I've looked at, you know, becoming a pastor. Um, you, know, even recently, uh, after leaving camp in New Hampshire and coming to Christian heritage and, you know, how all of that transpired, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to be a CEO anymore. Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, getting my resume together, um, you know, a discipleship pastor, a uh, family's ministry pastor. Like you think about all of my skills, like I could do these jobs. I felt like really well. Um, I, I wouldn't, I don't have a tip, like I don't have a typical, seminary degree and lots of work with inside the church. Um, So I think I'm not, you know, people probably look at my resume and like, yeah, he's not the guy we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think those are lots of different reasons, but you know, I think God's like, it's not where I have you. Um, And, but like, and that's why I appreciated your words when we start off. If someone knows me, gets to know me, they will see that I just have a heart for others, yeah. um, and I love shepherding people. I love discipling yeah. people. I love mentoring people, and I don't do that by hey, I have it all figured out. Is like just I want to come alongside you and help you process, think, uh, figure things out, empower you uh, to do all that. So I have a very uh, a pastoral heart yeah. for people. Um, so, anyways, yeah. So hopefully, yeah, that was a, a good answer.
0: Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> So let's kind of double click on the helping people, Yeah, you know, at CH and in the podcast here, we talk a lot about trauma and how it's, it impacts the negative behaviors in our life, right. but on the positive side, like what, what were those things that made you say, Hey, I do want to help people. I, I want to go to Bible college. I want to major in social science, which is about people. Um, I, I'm, you know, was it going to camp? Was it your parents? What were some of those early experiences yeah. that really led you to make those kind of choices in your yeah. life?
1: I would say part of it is probably what my parents. I think what my parents were modeling for me. And by the way, mm. anyone who knows my dad and my mom, you know, <laughs> we're not the most. We're you know we're I don't know gracefully dysfunctional uh, as a family. Um, I have a younger brother, Scott, and he's also kind of uh, in the mental health services field in yeah. Pennsylvania. Um, so I think part of that was just modeled through our parents. I remember taking in a young lady when we were even in high school, who wow. you know probably was in the foster care services yeah. and didn't have a lot of people, and we took her in. And you know the messiness, but the beautiful part of that too. And man, there's a whole story to that as well but I think that's probably those inner workings, uh, that foundation being laid in my parents' life uh, through, through us. Um, and then I just think as I I started doing life and I saw the brokenness around me, um, you know, I think of um, John Lewis, who is was uh, one mm. of the freedom writers and, yep. you know, if not me, then who, if not now, when, hmm. you know, so I think that, that, that verse again, here at my Lord send me was always kind of impressed on having compassion and, and, and empathy for those who are experiencing difficulties in life. Yep. Um, and I, and I probably did, I mean, I have a lot of clarity on that now than I did then when I was in my mid twenties. Um, but you know, after, you know, graduating from the college, you know, I, I got my first real job out of college was I worked at a city rescue mission and I was, you know, you know, working the food bank and giving spiritual counseling to those who needed food and clothing was my first job moving to New York. And eventually I got a job at a rehabilitational treatment facility, James. I mean, that was that experience there was transformative for me as I was working with adjudicated and foster care youth from the five boroughs of New York city. You Mm -hmm. know, I was working in Bronx and Harlem and Brooklyn in the projects. I mean, I was, I was a white guy, uh, in the mid nineties. Um, you know, I man, yep. did God transform my understanding of poverty, of of racial discrimination. Um, yeah, you know, so just seeing that and how transformative that became for my own faith. Yep. Um, yeah, th- that that really became the foundational elements and aspects of my life. Um That's good. and then, you know, ultimately got married, you know, Karen and I have been married 28 years. And I think as we were married, you know, for a couple of years when we were living in the New York area, ultimately both of us sensed the call and God did phenomenal, like open the Red Sea for us to get to ultimately where we became house parents at a residential school in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And we did that for close to 10 years and had 70 plus girls go through our home. So Mm -hmm. it was those early years of out of college, you know, working with some of the most riskiest at-risk behaviors and families and of youth and then becoming house parents and, you know, raising girls if they were our our own. Yeah. Man, like an incredible foundation for, you know, the rest of our lives.
0: Yep. Okay. I want to talk about being a, being house parents in a minute, but first, I think it's what you just talked about and living in New York city. Like when, when we hear, so I'm Midwesterner. I've lived in other, I've lived in another country. I've lived in other parts of this country, but I'm still a Midwesterner, right? You cannot take the Midwestern right. out of the boy. And so when a Midwesterner hears Bronx, Harlem, Brooklyn, mm. we're just like, Oh, gangs, gunshots. Yeah. Bank robberies, uh, seven 11 robberies. We just think of the worst things in the world. Right. And so, and we know that's not true right um but we do know in bigger cities there are there are significant problems just like there are in small communities right but they get blown up because here in the midwest we are and i'll just admit it we're fairly isolated and so right. i just think it's a blessing that someone like you who's had those experience and is not from here is serving here because you do add a unique Perspective sure. that most Midwesterners don't have. Like I'm, I'm really glad for my experience in South Africa, where we right. saw extreme poverty, right? Um, you know, unlike what I've ever witnessed in the United States. So that that helps me, uh, but again, I'm still that Midwesterner, and and so I'm like, well, okay. What goes on in the Bronx shouldn't happen in Nebraska, but it does. And so I just think you add you add that level of perspective that you can't get unless you live there. And so as you talk about poverty, racial discrimination, and all the other the issues that a large city like New York deals with, you know, it's good for us to have a quote unquote outsider here to add, you know, like what what do we need? We need fresh eyes. We need someone who hasn't who who doesn't see it like we see it.
1: Well, and to be honest with you, I think, you know, if anything, you know, so from New York to Pennsylvania, to Colorado, to New Hampshire, you know, really, you know, all of those experiences, really what, what lesson has that taught me? What it, what has taught me is I need to know who I'm actually serving, um, in every area there are, there's commonalities to it, but there definitely Mm -hmm. are unique things, I would even say the difference between Lincoln and Omaha can feel like night and day as well as we think about the challenges of that. I think of all those experiences have taught me is I need to slow down. I don't have all the answers, um, but getting the right people to the table, having the right conversations is we can really, I need to, I need to provide the right space to have the right conversations. We need to ask the right questions so we can get to the right, you know, the, the desires that we desire to get. And an outsider sometimes can come in. I'm going to come in and be the answer. I'm going to be the knight in shining armor. That really isn't like, that's not my heartbeat at all. Cause I, I, you know, I will, I could do more damage than good. So my goal is, is how do I leverage and understanding our assets and resources in a way that I can help mobilize and galvanize what actually are those needs. So I think, so yes, I hope I bring some of those experiences to it. But what I really hope is what I've learned in my leadership Yep. And, you know, through my failures and through my successes of what, of what I can help be a benefit to Christian heritage, where I think there's unprecedented change happening right now in Nebraska and foster care, um, you know, all of those kinds of worlds that, and I'm seasoned too, right? So mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, there's, there, it does it takes a lot to get me to a place where I, I'm not feeling like been here before, even Maybe. if I haven't been there before, I'm like, God's Great. been good. He got us through, th- he got me through all of that. He can get me through this. And I would say this too. I think, you know, when I was at the when I was at the when I was at Edwin Gold Academy, so the residential treatment facility, it was some of those experiences that I had there that really became have become the why in my life. Hmm. Um, so let me just one story in particular. So one young man. Um, man, I, we still connect every once in a while on Facebook and I love connecting with him, mm-hmm. uh, but he came out of, he was in the foster care system. He was actually at a police, a, a police officer's house in Queens, um, just exhibiting, exhibiting some really anti, you know, kind of anti social behavior, some high at risk behaviors. He came into our facility, which, you know, we were located about 30 miles North of the George Washington bridge. And he came in and eventually myself and then his caseworker in New York, we were able to find his mom. Hmm. And I remember the day before uh, we were going to go see his mom. And I went back into his room and he, he's just a mess. And he was not coping well. And I just remember sitting down this really hardened kid, you know, and just saying like, what if she doesn't want me? You know, what if she, hmm. you know, Yeah. I don't, he probably doesn't remember all the circumstances that led to that. And just being able to be this kid, (laughs) this kid from New York city and this white kid from Western Pennsylvania. And then that moment I was just able to come alongside him. And I think that has been transformative. I think not only in my life, uh, but in his life as well. And it didn't get any easier after that, but you know, it, that experience broke my heart it helped me look beyond not just the color of our skin and our gender and all of that is, you know, our, just our basic humanity was here is just a scared kid who really didn't know about his relationship with his mom. And in that moment, God gave me the, the, the privilege and honor to just speak life and truth in his life. Yeah. And it's those kinds of experiences. And I have hundreds of those stories that really have helped me, has shaped me, but sure. helps me stay centered on really what's what's at stake um, into the important work that I think God has called me to do, but I think what he's called Christian Heritage to do. Hey, thanks for listening to the Christian
0: Heritage Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, and share so more people can find us. If you have a question to ask or a topic you'd like us to cover, you can reach out to us at podcast at chne.org.